Hey guys, welcome to Speak LA, the podcast. Before we begin, one of the things we most often hear about from our listeners is how hard it is to find an agent. So if this is something that you are struggling with, please go to ispeakla.com and download your free agent guide now. There is absolutely no shame in not having an agent, but we really want to help you get one. So go to ispeakla.com and grab your free agent guide now. Hey, Jen. Hey, Kim. How are you? Good. It's good to see you today. I know. It's been a while. We're, we're in the midst of this uh, crazy COVID-19 situation. Yeah, but we've yeah. figured out a way to, yeah. uh, to do this podcast thanks to actually our guest today, yeah. Dan Leonard. Yep. The amazing home studio master, Cam. I know. Interview him today. I know. We've been wanting to do it for a while, and now we finally get to do it. I know. <laughs> so before we get to Dan and all things uh, home recording studio and voiceover, Jen, what yeah. have you been up to? I haven't seen you in such a long time. I know. I know. Well, you know, I've been I've been doing what everybody else has been doing: staying yeah. at home, sheltering in place. How's that going? Um, yeah, it's going good, but uh, something, so I was, I was thinking about, because I thought you'd ask me about if there's anything LA I've been doing, and I thought, yeah. you know, it's hard to come up with an LA thing uh, right now, because we're all just staying home, obviously, um, but I did have kind of an LA experience yesterday, which was, I was on a walk in my neighborhood, and I walked past um, this park that is down the street from my house, and there were three people separately by themselves, you know, um, doing yoga and like with the mat, like full on yoga, not just like stretching, but doing yoga. And I thought, well, that feels very LA. I'm sure there are other cities where people are doing yoga in parks, but um, in that moment with the sun shining and people doing yoga, even though we're all, uh, you know, stuck at home right now, it, it felt like a real LA moment. Oh, I love that. I yeah. love it. I saw three people having a picnic doing that same thing. Uh, it made me really happy. How old were you when you moved to LA? 58. Did you know anyone here? Sadly, I knew more people here than I did in Buffalo, where I grew up and spent most of my life uh, being in the voiceover business. So did I know anybody? Yeah, I knew a ton of people here. Where did you live when you first got to LA? Uh, where I'm living now here in Sherman Oaks. We bought a really nice house here. We had a lot of good reasons for coming here. And uh, one of them, because of those reasons, we needed to have a good home that had certain features. And we found that and we're happily here in Sherman Oaks. What was your first job in LA? Uh, my first job in LA was what I've always been doing, which is uh, voiceover and a voiceover uh, home studio consultation. Once I was here, you know, it wasn't a matter of being in Buffalo and talking to people over Zoom and Skype and things like that. It was, I was able to do home house calls and really go into people's homes and see how they were set up to do their voiceover uh, recording and dispel tons of myths and make them sound a heck of a lot better than they were. What was your initial impression of L.A.? The first time I came to LA in 1980, I remember coming down the Cajon Pass 
with a girlfriend that we were, we were coming out here. It's a long story, but we're coming down here and we're driving, you know, past Rancho Cucamonga and coming down the, down the, uh, the, the 15. And it's like, my God, it goes on forever. <laughs> How many years did it take you of living in LA until it felt like home? You know something? They say home isn't where you live. It's where they understand you. So I felt like I was home as soon as I got here. And I had spent a fair amount of time out here. My mother lives in Orange, and we had spent a lot of time in California, and I really, you know, really grew to love it. And so it always felt like home to me. If you had to sum LA up in one word, what would it be? Uh, oh, gosh. You know, I'm thinking of all sorts of words here, but um, vast. <laughs> vast. <Yeah. laughs> it is very vast. It is indeed. That's a perfect word. I love it. Bass. Dan, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you. Well, um, yeah. After being you know, on the other side of everything, it's a pleasure to actually talk with you ladies and <laughs> tell you a little bit about how I do what I do. I know. We're thrilled. I'll just give anybody listening uh, a quick background on how we know Dan. So Dan actually um, is our sound engineer. We're very... Uh, fortunate and happy to be able to say that. Um, he's the guy who makes us sound good, which thank you, Dan, as we are, you know, I hope always telling you how grateful we are to have you. We actually met Dan because we um, worked with another guy a few years ago named Ben, um, who we also love, and who came to us because he was moving and said, hey, I think I got another guy for you. And he said, I think his exact words, Camille, you can tell me if you remember, but they were like, this guy's like way out of my league. Like he's <laughs> yeah. like so much better than I am. <laughs> and he was like, if he does this for you, you will be so lucky because he's just really, really amazing. So um, we were, uh, needless to say, we were very grateful and, and psyched, Dan, when you agreed to uh, help us out. So today we just thought it would be so cool to interview you and, um, you know, kind of hear your story. And we know you help a lot of actors and a lot of voiceover actors. And um, so we wanted to uh, just get into that and um, let you help them via the podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah. We feel like this is a very special podcast because it's with you. Um, so we get to we get to know even more about you than than we have before, which is exciting. For example, I didn't know that you were with a, a girlfriend uh, driving around in LA a while back. In, in 1980, when the air was brown, and it was like, I ain't staying here. So it's a long story. But, well, we'll yeah. have to hear that one, one of these days. But yeah. um, I'd love to just start with a question we love to ask is, tell us about how you initially got into voiceover work. Uh, I got into voiceover very, very early before probably you, you kids were probably in kindergarten at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like during the Ford administration. Uh, I had always wanted to be in broadcasting and radio. Uh, and I was, I was also a, a, a theater actor and uh, I spent a lot of time on stage. And one of the things that we did was, you know, we would sing silly songs and I, you know, I learned how to record them. I remember my father having a, a Sony cassette recorder uh, back in the, you know, about 1968 or so. And uh, my sister and my brother and I would always play radio station on that. And that was always something I wanted to do. In high school, uh, aside from doing theater, 
Uh, my friends and I became the announcing staff there, really enjoyed doing that kind of work. Uh, and of course, slanting any announcements to how it affected us personally. And then in college, uh, I went to my freshman year, I went to Bowling Green State University and immediately started working at their college radio station uh, where I learned very quickly how to edit reel-to-reel tape and, uh, and, and, and how to produce audio for, for stories. Uh, I, I played hockey too, and I, I was, I was, I played goalie, but it was, you know, it was a, a, a you know, a triple A, AAA, uh, an NCAA triple A team. They were like number one in the nation at Bowling Green when I was there. So I got to meet some very prominent players who actually were on the 1980 uh, U.S. Olympic team. Uh, they played with us at Bowling Green and, uh, and I played hockey until I was about 40, but primarily I was studying broadcasting television and radio. And, uh, and then I, I transferred home to uh, back to Buffalo State College, which also had a really good broadcasting program. Um, you know, not that I really wanted to live at home, but you know, it was it was easier to go there and commute with a friend to go to Buffalo State College, which was in town. So it was like going to a much bigger high school, but at a much higher level, and learn uh, a little bit more detail about audio production and television production. And then um, my father unfortunately passed away when I was twenty-one. And I stayed at home for a little while and moved out and then started working after, uh, in 1980, I started working at a radio station, WJYE, Joy, <laughs> FM 96, all music, all the time. And uh, learned a tremendous amount more about radio production and doing voice work and uh, spent a career until about 1992 uh, working at various radio stations, primarily as you know, as an on-air talent, uh, but also as a production director, the person that would, uh, along with the station copywriter, we would write the stuff, cast it, you know, you know, get the station manager in here, you know, you know, can we get the traffic manager? There's a salesperson over there; they, it's their client. Get them in, and they have to play play this part. And we would set up to do, essentially, you know, radio drama for commercials and. The commercials we made, of course, you know, I, there was a certain artistic thing to it that it, I really enjoyed and, and casting people and directing them and doing my own voices and working with the jocks in the station and doing the funny bits that they did. And uh, it was it was great stuff. Uh, and it was fun. And uh, it, it hardly paid the bills. And uh, I got married uh, to my first wife in uh, 1985. And that lasted about six years. And I just realized that radio was no way to support a family. And, uh, and then we split up and then I remarried a little while longer, a little later, I got into the life insurance business. Uh, if you want to do anything that will totally frustrate you and break telephones, get into the life insurance business and don't do it when you're in debt. Uh, and then I went back to school, got my teaching degree. Um, and, taught high school social studies for, for three years uh, and uh, was able to use all I knew about broadcasting and television production to enhance the educational experience of my students. And uh, it, was, it was fun stuff. I was doing things that people are now doing. You know, everybody's at home doing their stuff on, on, on YouTube. I was doing that in 1996, 1997, uh, at the, really at the beginning of digital video and teaching it. And uh, we built a TV studio on stage where we could access all the stage lights. And I taught 
a class in how to do television production. And, uh, and that was just great fun. And we were doing videos and just having a great time with it. And, uh, and then education and I parted ways. Uh, you can't take someone who's been in the private sector for 20 years, throw them into a Marxist bureaucracy and expect things to go really, really well. Oh no, you have to spend this money. I don't need this money. You spend this money. Just a crazy, crazy, crazy thing. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I came home. I was a stay-at-home dad. And while finishing my master's degree uh, in, in social studies education and creative studies, I was given a project uh, to uh, do a documentary on this well-known jazz musician in Buffalo by the name of Alan Tinney, who the story goes, you can, I can get you guys listen to this thing. It's a fascinating documentary about how this guy was born in the Harlem, you know, in the Harlem Renaissance and uh, was in the original cast of Porgy and Bess, worked with, um, uh, with George Gershwin personally and became this monumental improvisational jazz pianist who is according to many jazz legends, the guy that was the, the, the creator of bebop jazz and he was in Buffalo and he was working at this, this, you know, they would play at this place called the colored musicians club. And, and he would, you know, he had the El Tinny trio and he had this amazing story and I had met Al many times and, uh, but they had interviews that were done by a college professor at the university of Buffalo. And I took it all and it's like, Oh, it's all this video, but I can't find any stock footage of the Harlem Renaissance or, or of, of Harlem with jazz or anything like that. It's all Marcus Garvey stuff. If you know your Harlem Renaissance history, say it was a social studies teacher. And uh, I said, son of a gun, it's a radio documentary. And a friend of mine who also had been my pediatrician when I was much younger, uh, Dick Judelson, had a, a radio show called Bebop and Beyond. And he knew Al. And I said, I'm creating this documentary for my master's program. And he's all played on my show. And I recorded it. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was really cool. And I got my, got my degree. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. If I can record digitally in my basement and go around and talk to people, I can go back and I can create commercials and do all this stuff in voiceover. Can't I? And I, of course, in, 19, in this was 2003, and I typed in voiceover. And like when Dorothy opens the door to her, from her house, from black and white into Munchkinland and everything turns color, this entire industry just suddenly came to me. It's like, what's going on here? Because we could now record things in MP3 and send them anywhere. And it changed the whole paradigm of what voiceover is. And that was, you know, that was 16, 17 years ago. And of course, it hasn't changed a whole lot in how we do it, but it also has changed a whole lot in how many people are doing it, which is part of really what's going on. And that's how I got into doing it. And I was doing voiceover. And then people started asking me questions because I knew how to set up a studio and they're like, well, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? And, and finally, you know, my wife was like, look, you can't take, you know, 30 years of experience and just give it out to people. You know, you've got to hang out a shingle. And I hung up my shingle as the home studio master. And I've been doing that for 15 years and I've built more home studios than anybody else on the planet. And, uh, and that's what I do. And, and I do voice work too. And it keeps me very busy, especially right now when everybody has to have a home studio. Yeah. 
So that's the, the Reader's Digest version anyway. Um, that's also interesting. I, I, uh, so just going back a little bit, Dan, like in terms of why somebody would be interested in voiceover acting, as you know, uh, most of the people that listen to the podcast are actors. We'll have obviously some, some professional voiceover artists as well, but if somebody's just an actor and they know nothing about, um, you know, what it really means to be a voiceover artist, uh, why, you know, why would, why would an actor want to get into VO? Uh, because being an actor can be very financially stressful and you need to have constant flows of work. Uh, you know, if, if you're doing screen work or you're doing stage work, you know, you're doing gig to gig to gig. If you create voiceover itself is a business. It's a, it's a, uh, an entrepreneurial business. You become an independent business person, which I think most actors should probably take the attitude of as well that, you know, they've got to promote yourself. So people are promoting themselves on Twitter and, you know, and Instagram and all that other stuff. Voiceover is a business where you are talking to people outside really of the entertainment industry. Because the money that's really being made by people who are making a living at this are doing e-learning and uh, educational material and documentary work and business-to-business corporate uh, stuff, uh, explainer videos. It's just amazing. The internet has created so many opportunities for people to voice these things. And people who are PR people or doing you know, the, the web work for, for companies and stuff, you don't want it to sound like crap. So they realized, well, maybe we should hire professional voice actors to do this. Mm -hmm. My attitude about it is that if you were a recovering podiatrist, voiceover may not be the best thing for you to be doing Uh, or a a retired or, 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 you know, or if you were an IT or something else and like, Oh, I've always wanted to do it. People say I have a great voice, not the best idea. However, if you are an actor, and you've been taking classes and you've done improv and you understand that, you know, the, the whole point is to listen to other people and then express it back out. You've got a leg up on everybody else because you understand that it's acting, not making funny voices and talking conversationally like you guys and I are talking right now. That's really what voiceover is. So it's not like, Hey, can we talk about diarrhea? It's like, <laughs> hey, can we talk about diarrhea? Because that's what voiceover is today. And only actors understand that. So it's very, very important that as another source of income, being a voice actor, having the ability to record remotely and at home uh, is very, very important. But anybody who knows how to be an actor can do voice acting. So if I'm an actor who wants to get into VO, do I, you've, you've mentioned a home studio a couple times. Is that a necessity? Do I need, do I need to have a home studio? Uh, during these times, absolutely. Uh, because the studios are all closed. People can't go in. So what about what, not during these times though? What about regular? I, I think we're going to see a huge paradigm shift because so many people who have been studio actors, voice actors, you know, like, Oh, I go into my own studio. I'm talent. Oh, it's like anytime I hear that, I like want to reach through the internet with my hand and grab them by the throat. Look, I'm talent too, but I learned all these skills and you need to learn them too. So don't be telling me that you're like, you know, you're more important or something like that because you go into somebody else's studio. Um, recording at home is not difficult. 
Uh, I think people tend to think if they go into a recording studio, they see a 32-track board and guitars hanging on the wall and gold records and glass in a beautiful studio, and they think that's what they've got to do at home. And it's got nothing to do with that. It's, it's three things that you need to learn about acoustics, microphone technique, and setting proper input levels and having the right equipment, but not outrageously expensive equipment. And if you can learn those things, which I teach people, uh, you can be a very competent uh, home recordist and actually work remotely to these studios. Once people are allowed back in the studios, I think a lot of companies are going to go, why are we hiring the studio? We can just do it with this person over here. It's going to be to somebody's advantage to be able to record competently and well at home. And, uh, you know, it, I think there's a lot of actors who get into voice acting and they say, why would I ever want to do the other stuff? The voice acting is great because I can do it in my jammies. Because <laughs> nobody needs to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> right. Um, I have to say, I, I really envy people like you who, who seem to have the two sides of their brain work really well, like that technical, almost scientific side, and then you have the, the creative side. And I think a lot of, of actors, you know, which is so tricky for us often with the business, it's like combining that sort of creativity. So I love what you're saying in terms of like, I have this voiceover career. I also applied everything that I knew about radio and recording and created this, this home studio and to help people create home studios. And some people are going to be able to, you know, pick up on what you're saying right away, which we are going to talk about walking them through the steps, but I'd love to know like how much would it cost to hire somebody like you to set up a studio and maybe does it depend on the person or the, you know, the environment? Right. Well, it's, it, every home studio needs to be individually custom made for that person. It has okay. to fit their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, my wife doesn't want me in my closet. Well, okay, we've got to find another place to do that. Uh, closets are great. If you've been listening to NPR or some of the other you know, major radio networks, you're hearing people saying, I'm in my closet here on KUSC. You know, it's like, and it sounds great. Uh, you don't have to invest a whole lot of money into it. Uh, I charge, normally I charge $250 for a whole consult to really teach you the basics of doing it. And because I'm not a big, I'm not a big hand holder. You know, it's like, you know, look, you either learn this because I was a teacher, you know, you can got to hold some people's hands and say, okay, this is this, this is that. Most of the time, it's a matter of giving them the basics and, you know, finding the right place in their home to record, show them how to set it up properly and, and then follow up to make sure that the audio meets my standards uh, for, for good quality audio. The, the problem is, is that people want to satisfy their own ears. And they think, oh, well, this sounds great. I sound fabulous. The problem is, is that in voiceover, you don't hire you. And you've got you've to sound a certain way. And there are certain standards that we've set for what is it, it's supposed to sound like. And you know, we see this term broadcast quality all the time. And broadcast quality doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's a standard that was used from, you know, you know, from Leave it to Beaver in the Huntley Brinkley report from the 60s. And uh, we... Digital recording is completely different. So we've a few of us that are in, you know, in the, in this sort of business of helping people at their home studios are like, why don't we change it to professional quality? But then we see all these agents throwing this stuff. Oh, it's got to be broadcast quality. 
And we're like, well, what does that really mean? I'm, it means it shouldn't sound bad. <laughs> and, and, and trying to make it not sound bad is, that's really where the skill comes in. And, and knowing what it's supposed to sound like, or the acronym I use, whistle, what it's supposed to sound like. I love, so, I love that it's unique to each person. Yeah. That's really cool. I never thought of it like that. Sorry, so Dan, no, no, that's okay. Um, so you mentioned that you go, you, you go into somebody's house to do a consult um, and you talk them through the steps. And I think you said there's three steps. So, yeah. you know, can we for a minute pretend you're coming to my place and you say, okay, I mean, what would be like, what would be sort of a somewhat typical, you need to get this, you need to get this, you need to get this. And how much do all those things typically cost? I, right. I just think there might be people who are listening who are thinking like, is this even so like somebody like you costs 250, but then how much does the equipment cost? And, you know, am I going to have to like change my house around to do it? And, right. that and, that, and that's, and that's usually not the case. Usually right. we can, there's always some place unless you live, you know, like in the flight path from, from LAX or something. So yeah. <laughs> The people in Inglewood and Hawthorne and stuff, they got a little bit of a problem. Uh, but yeah, there, like I said, there's three things. One is acoustics, and that covers two things. Sound being isolated, so sound does not come in from the outside. And then the reverberation inside the room, uh, which is why working in a closet full of clothes is fabulous. You don't want a reverberant echo. You don't want to sound like you're in a tube. <laughs> And you, it, it needs to sound neutral, uh, but lively. So you're like you're having a conversation. Uh, so there, there's those two factors. And how you do that is, is how I teach that. And it's like, okay, you've got clothes here. You've got, okay, we can hang some moving blankets. We can create, you know, put sound panels in here of some sort. Because everything is, is unique. What's going to work in that person's space? And that's really the creative part of this. It's like, okay, how can we do this? You could try this. You could try that. A closet full of clothes will save you $6,000 off the bat and not getting a, vo a, you know, a voiceover booth, which were not designed for voiceover. They were designed for saxophonists and clarinetists and stuff to practice around other people so they couldn't hear them. It keeps sound from going out. It also keeps sound from coming in. But the acoustics in a small square box are terrible. So they have to be treated in a certain way. That's why I like if you got a closet full of clothes, that works a lot better. The second part is learning microphone technique. And in a bit, I'll show you, I'll tell you about what equipment to get. Microphone technique involves understanding the proximity of the microphone, understanding how it picks it up, the right kind of microphone. You want to use a studio condenser microphone, not a stage microphone. Uh, you know, like, you know, if you're on a rock band and, you know, you're like, hey, Los Angeles is going, you, know, you can't do that. You know, it's, it doesn't work with a, a condenser mic uh, because we don't talk half an inch from somebody's eardrum. We need to sound like we're in the same room with somebody. And if you listen to most voiceover on television and radio, it's not people on top of the microphone. They're at the distance I'm at, which is five to seven inches maybe even, even further. If you've ever been in a studio and watched them record animation, the mic is way far away from them. And, you know, and, and then you see these pictures of people with big pop screens and they're all like, you know, right on top of the mic. And it's like, that's not what it is. It's a proper distance, the mic at eye level, because you'll notice that's at the same plane as your ears. And you talk underneath with your script behind the microphone. And therefore we don't get any plosives. So I can say, 
Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers all day long and not need a pop screen. But if you talk directly into the diaphragm, you get Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. And that's, that's what we try to get people to learn is that, you know, there, as long as you're in front of the mic and underneath it and it's picking you up, like you and I are having a conversation. Like I should sound like I'm in the same room with you. Because uh, I'm not talking over my laptop microphone. I'm talking over a good studio condenser microphone and, and giving you the, the quality audio that, you know, that a client will require. Uh, and then it's setting proper input levels, which is something you have to see to understand. And, uh, and making sure that you're loud enough, but not too loud. Because if you get too loud, it starts to overmodulate and then it starts to distort. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that we have to teach. But once you know them, and once you practice them, they become very second nature. And then it's all about, really is all about acting. And, and, and really equipment, a microphone, you need a $150 studio condenser microphone. You might, you could get a USB microphone, but you've got to get a good one. Those are about $300. Or you spend a hundred bucks on, on a, a small one channel digital interface that is both a preamp which will take the signal from your microphone and amplify it and then turn it into the ones and zeros that your computer understands and turns into the graphics of audio that you can then edit. And of course, then there's you know, the software, there's free software out there to record with. As long as you do all those different things, if you record right up front, you can make yourself sound like you. And that's the point. The idea is not to make yourself sound great. The idea is to make you sound like you as you exist. And, and then the corollary of that is to not sound bad. I love that. That's just, I mean, I love that uh, to sound like you and not to sound great. That reminds me of what uh, casting directors and agents so often say about headshots, you know, that the, the goal is not to look like some glamour shot, but to actually look like you. And I love that it's the same with voiceover. That's, as Camille often says on this subject, it's, it's almost a relief, you know, like you don't have to learn how to sound like some fake uh, sort of perfect ideal that you have in your head. You just have to sound like you. I think right. that's great. Exactly. I am not keeping time on this. So I am. I am. I'm glad I mean, somebody is. <laughs> it's usually my job. Yeah, right. usually Dan does. Um, sadly, we only have about two or three more minutes, but I know Camille, I think you have another question or two. And, and yeah, I, would love, I, I do have a question. And before, before I get to that, I just wanted to say on that, just in terms of sounding like you, I remember that my greatest fear and the, the greatest notes that I got in graduate school all had to do with my voice. Mm. <laughs> and I got so self-conscious about stop plosives and all that stuff. And even my S's, the sibilant S. Um, and it was such a, it was such an interesting thing when I moved to LA and realized that, um, my voice was part of my unique quality. And I, I just, I, you know, I had never really thought of it like that, that, you know, we don't need to sound a certain way in order to act. Um, and I think sometimes that happens in drama schools where, you know, you're working so much on speech, you forget that there's a unique quality to your own voice. So. Yeah. And that's, that's really the great thing about voiceover is that there's lots of work out there because everybody's a snowflake. The, the, what, what sells is not having a great voice. You know, it helps in certain things. It's what do you bring to the table that's different? What's mm. going to catch some casting director's ear that's like, oh, that, well, that's an interesting voice. 
Mm. You know, it's like, you know, let's think of Gilbert Godfrey. You know, ah, it's whack. You know, I mean, it, yeah. that's what they're, if you listen, it's like there are a lot of quirky voices on there right now. So, you know, not necessarily my forte, but, uh, you know, when asked, I can do it. There's yeah. also tremendous opportunity in gaming right now. Uh, with video games, that's really where the a lot of the the, the good paying and and consistent work is, and that requires good character acting ability. So I yeah, I, yeah the the character yeah, it, which goes back to what you're saying about training and knowing how to act, and that's all connected to voiceover acting as well. Um, you know, I never even really when I I didn't even really know what VO was before I came here. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, here I am an actor. How do I even assess if this is something that I want to try? Um, and should I assess this before I go through the steps of getting a home studio? Uh, well, being as you're a trained actor, that is a, that's a cut above right there. Because, you know, you can look at a script, you can break it down, you understand what it is that, that, that you know, the, the writer was looking for. Uh, and you know how to take direction. If you can do all of that, then it might be a matter of going to a demo producer and not one that's incredibly expensive or has a, uh, a reputation for making the production sound great so they know who the producer was but not who the voice actor is. And there are a number of those people in town and I know some people who are very, very good at doing that sort of thing. And you know, you ask me because I'm the one that knows these people and I'm saying, and I can say, you can talk to this person, this person, I think this person would work really well with you. It's like everything else. It's not about so much what you know for the first part. It's who you know and who believes in you and who can refer you ahead to the people that can help you succeed. And, you know, and I think that's probably exactly the same as it is with, with visual acting. Dan, can you give us a name or two names of people who, who do this that uh, you know, somebody could reach out to? Uh, well, if they reach out to me, I'll, I'll talk to them. Great. And how do they, how, give us, we, we would have done that at the end, but let's do it now. What's, um, how do they reach you? The best way to reach me is through my website, which is homevoiceoverstudio.com. Okay. And go, and there's a thing, I click contact the home studio master. Right. Uh, and I also have a service where I'll listen to people's audio, uh, for $25 and it's a, a Dropbox. It's actually a specimen collection cup, but you have to go to the website and see yeah. it and click on that. And I'll analyze audio to see how to improve what you, you know, the setup that you have. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but I also, you know, I, I, I have an, a list of people who I'll, I will talk to and I will match somebody up with somebody uh, that I think will work. And I think that's far more important than people doing research and go, Oh, I should talk to this person. Talk, yeah. talk to the people. I've been doing this a long time. I know who everybody is and I can get you in the right direction. That's so great. Um, we sadly are out of time before we get to our LAism. I'd love to just ask one last question, which is, what do you love about doing voiceover? Uh, there's a lot of things I love about it. One, because it allows me to be me. And it allows me to be a lot of other things, like acting. Uh, but it also allows me to work on my own time with who I want to work with, when I want to work, uh, and do the types of things that I'm good at. And, uh, you know, and, uh, it, it, that's what it's all about. And I, what I love about voiceover is the camaraderie amongst voice actors, because we're not, you know, we're not intimidating each other in the casting lounge. We're, we're, it's all this anonymous, faceless sort of thing. We don't know who our competition is. So when we get together, we support each other. 
because a rising tide floats all boats. Sort of like what you gals are doing with, uh, with I Speak LA, is you're trying to get the right information out there, which is really refreshing amongst the, uh, you know, the acting profession. Thank you for that. That's a great answer. So Dan, as you well know, we always end every podcast by asking our guests for an LAism, which as you know, is something unique that you have found um, in LA. And, um, and there's a bunch of those. <laughs> I know. Anything uh, come to mind specifically? Oh God, I make jokes about this all the time. Uh, it's, you know, a crosswalk is not a sidewalk. A crosswalk is not a sidewalk. In other words, people, everybody walks in LA and, you know, as the song goes, and I just, you know, nobody walks in LA. Everybody walks in LA and they cross the street on their cell phone, paying oh, no see. attention to cars <laughs> and making a left-hand turn off of Burbank yeah. onto Van Nuys is almost impossible yeah. because people are just walking. It's like, you know, and I, I yeah, the traffic here is, is nuts. And you I, want to I, honk, and it's like, I didn't grow up in this sort of environment. Kids didn't run out between parked cars. People don't care. It's, it's a very strange thing. I think that, that is, is quintessentially so, L.A. You know what? You are so right. I, as you know, Dan, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I still will not let them walk places where there are busy streets because of what you just said. I, I, I'm, it is such a skill in L.A. to cross the street uh, in a way where you're not going to get killed <laughs> because that of that left turn thing that you're talking about. And if you right. live in LA, you know what I'm talking about. Um, th that I don't trust that, that my kids, even at the age of 13, are going to be sensible enough to um, be looking. You have to look in every direction when you're, and, and, but you have to remember to do it. It's, it's not just the looking. So I love that. A crosswalk is uh, not a sidewalk. Very good. So before we uh, thank you effusively for being mm. and always that you yes. are, um, I just wanted to um, say again that we can find you at homevoiceoverstudio.com. Right. And also there's the voiceover body shop that is oh, yes. YouTube, right? So yes, it's, it's, on, it's on YouTube. Our home site is vobs.tv. And also we're on Facebook and we do the show live every other week. Uh, we interview somebody prominent like you guys do every week and uh, when we redo our podcast. And, uh, and then my co-host, George Whittem and I, who's also a voiceover engineer, uh, talk tech. We talk shop. And, you know, we get 6,000 views a month. We just love it. We did a show last night with Pat Fraley, who's a well-known uh, voice actor and teacher. And uh, we just have a great time doing it. Uh, right now we're doing it remotely because we can't all be together. But you've been in my studio and, you know, not only is it a voiceover studio, it's also a TV studio. So we release it as a webcast and also as a podcast. So VOBS.TV or look for Voiceover Body Shop on Facebook. Yeah, definitely, definitely reach out. Obviously, he's amazing. Yeah, really. So much, Dan. We're so happy to have you today. Absolutely my pleasure. And it's a pleasure working with you ladies because... What you're doing is really important, and I, I feel it's important for me to be a part of it and make sure that it sounds good. Even though we're on Zoom here, which isn't perfect, but that's what we got to work with. Today. <laughs> this is what we got to do. Thank you, Dan. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We want to be able to bring you more episodes like this one, but we can only do that with your support. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe 
to Speak LA the podcast. Seriously, do it, like now. <laughs> For more information on Speak LA, go to ispeakla.com. Our sound engineer is the very, very, <laughs> Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. My name is Camille Thornton Olson. And I'm Jen Jostin, and we are the founders of Speak LA. Find us at iSpeakLA.com. See you next time. <laughs>